Hello and welcome to Pod Rocket. Today I'm here with Brent Vatney from Expo. Um, how you doing, Brent? I'm doing pretty well. How are you? Doing pretty well. We have our first sunny day in a long time in Boston. It's been like super rainy for July, so finally happy to have be able to go outside and enjoy the weather. Nice. Where Where are you? We've had a bit of the opposite problem here in Vancouver. Well, answering your question, I was, uh, was going to ask. Yeah, I anticipated you were about to ask. Uh, yeah, in Vancouver, Canada, on the west coast, uh, we had a heat wave a couple weeks ago. Got up to about 42 degrees Celsius around here, which um, I don't know what that is in Fahrenheit, but it's a big number. <laughs> Hot. <laughs> Very uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. But it's nice here now. So, yeah. So, as I'm sure you know, I've had uh, Charlie Cheever on Pod Rocket before. He was one of our early guests, maybe, I don't know, some, some number of months ago. And, you know, before we dive into talking more about Expo, curious to learn a bit about your background and how did you kind of end up working on Expo? So, at the time when Expo came about, um, so this is about six years ago, six and a half years ago. Um, it roughly coincides with the release of React Native, uh, the first public official release of it. Um, at the time, I was working at an agency, and we were doing a lot of uh, full stack stuff and uh, just kind of exploring the mobile space at the time as well. And we were using React a lot on the web. We were really big fans of it and really wanted something um, that was a just a nice way for us to use React or the same paradigm to build mobile apps as well. And uh, it just so happened that like while we were doing a lot of investigation into this, uh, React Native was released. And so I just dove right in and started um, prototyping an app for a client using React Native. And naturally, I think um, you were around similar at the beginning of, of the React Native history. And uh, there, there were a lot of empty spaces to fill. And so I started getting involved in writing a bunch of community libraries and helping out with React Native itself, um, helping out with the release process and um, sending pull requests and so on. And so through that, I met uh, James Ide, who's one of the, the founders. Uh, he was also very involved in, um, in React Native upstream work and kind of started contracting with them and eventually joined the company. And you know, what in particular excites you about Expo? So I think something really exciting about Expo is we're focused on the end-to-end -end experience of building cross-platform apps. So we're not just saying, here's a framework for plugging it into your app and saying, now you can go ahead and share some fraction of the code between platforms. We're trying to take that from actually initializing your app. You use like the CLI in, in development to uh, app signing credentials, getting that uh, all of that set up and um, enabling things like push notifications, all with one sort of coherent set of APIs and tools that allow you to take something and ship it and iterate on it quickly uh, using just this, this one uh, tool chain. And so kind of bringing all that together is something I think uh, other tools aren't necessarily doing in the same way. It's more focused on a specific part of, of this, and we're, we're more about trying to vertically integrate a lot of these things. And I, I remember when I spoke to Charlie there, I asked him a question like in 2021 like is is React Native it's an expo the right choice if you're starting a new mobile app for basically any mobile app or like are there still cases where you believe like it does make sense to use native iOS and native Android separate apps and like how should developers think about making the choice on a on a greenfield project Yeah, it's a really good question. Uh, greenfield projects are definitely a worthy distinction here. Um, I think that if you're talking about 
taking an existing app that you're building and um, adding more features and, and uh, developers to it. Uh, I think that's a little bit less unclear what should be done in that case. Um, but I would say in, in the context of a Greenfield app, React Native has really come uh, a very long way. And unless your organization is already heavily staffed with native engineers, um, you, know, you probably have some people working on, on a website somewhere, um, maybe using React already or a similar tool. Uh, it's, I think, a very easy choice for a lot of organizations to say, let's just, you know, for this initial prototype at least, like get our React engineers to figure out how to translate their skills to React Native and start building this first iteration of the app. And definitely for smaller organizations, that's a factor as well. Uh, you don't necessarily always have the ability to say, we want to build an app, so let's hire an iOS engineer, an Android engineer, or like, you know, multiple of each and get this spun up. So um, yeah, I would say it's a, it's a pretty good choice in, in most cases these days. Um, you might not use it for things like games, of course, like you probably use something like Unity instead. <laughs> um, and, and so to jump into the weeds a bit, curious to hear about what's new in Expo. Um, you know, since since I, I talked to Charlie, I, I think Expo SDK 42 was the mo recently came out. Um, so maybe we could go through kind of some of the new and, and exciting features. Sure. So Expo SDK 42, um, and just for people who are listening who maybe aren't familiar, um, SDK releases with Expo happen every three months. Uh, so we have four each year, and it's kind of just our way of packaging up a set of changes that we work on over that time period and releasing it sort of in one coherent uh, set of, of libraries um, that all work together at, at that point in time, kind of a snapshot of uh, development at, at that process, uh, point in the process. Um, and so usually that's tied to a specific version of React Native as well um, and, and a number of other things. So this SDK release, um, we had some pretty interesting features. Uh, there's been uh, people requesting first-party integration with Stripe for a while. And so Stripe being you know, obviously a very popular way to handle payments uh, these days. Um, we worked a bit with the Stripe team on that and, and have really good integration now with, with this latest release. So that's pretty exciting for a lot of developers. Um, what, what does first-party Stripe support mean? Like how is that different than just using like the Stripe JavaScript client? Right. So Stripe has actually built a React Native specific library for interacting with the native capabilities of, of Stripe. Um, and so this gives you some like UI um, elements that are shipped by Stripe themselves. And yeah, I think everyone probably is familiar with the quality of, of UIs that Stripe is capable of producing. And um, you know, just dealing with things like credit card input fields like you don't want to be writing that on your own necessarily and so uh, stuff stuff like that is uh, it's pretty nice to have um yeah so I, I think that's that's like an, an important thing there and so the kind of first party support here means like we have uh worked with them along with this library specifically built for react native and said like okay how do we make this work inside of the context of uh of expo how do we um, make everything have a, a really nice story for integrating here. Since there are some slight differences um, depending on how you're you're building your app with Expo or without Expo in a React Native environment. Yeah, I guess that's a it begs an interesting question to dig into. Like, you know, what are the you know since since Stripe had already built a React Native integration, like 
do do other integrations for React Native work out of the box with Expo, or what are the cases when you, you would need to adapt the integration to to function well within the Expo environment? Yeah, that's a great question. So that also ties back into some of the stuff that we've released with SDK 42. Um, SDK 42 and 41 were the first releases where we supported a new build system called BIS Build, and so previously we used another build system that was a lot less flexible. Um, and so basically what we did was we would produce some pre-built app that included all of the libraries in the Expo SDK and say, okay, we're going to run a build for this now against your JavaScript app. And so we take this pre-built app, we take your JavaScript, your assets, and some configuration, and we just kind of like <laughs> mash those all together. Uh, and so it wasn't actually doing a build of your app, including any like custom native code that you might be including. So um, it was just sort of this preset SDK idea. And you can kind of think of that more like um, shipping uh, kind of like a, an Electron app, maybe without um, using any additional native APIs or shipping an, even an app in a web browser, right? You get what you get in a web browser. There aren't, I mean, now maybe some exceptions around what you can do in terms of uh, native extensions with WebAssembly and stuff. Uh, generally, the kind of access that you have to system capabilities is limited by what's made available through a web browser. And similarly, in the Expo environment, traditionally, um, there has been a limitation around like what is made available through the Expo SDK in terms of native device capabilities. So accessing the camera and notifications and so on were all sort of handled through some built-in uh, set of, of libraries. And so what has changed recently is that this new build system supports installing any React Native library um, in, in your Expo app. And so uh, that's part of why the timing for this uh, with Stripe uh, worked out how it did was um, essentially what needs to be done to make that work in this context is you have this React Native library that um, includes a bunch of code that is basically a, a number of APIs that you can call into so you could call, uh, you know, let's just say like send payment or something like that, right? That's arbitrary uh, name for a method. And this is something you can access from, from JavaScript that's defined in Objective-C, Swift, Java, Kotlin. Um, but in addition to that, there's often some configuration that you need to do on the projects. So maybe you need to add a bit of code to the app delegate. Um, maybe you need to add something, main activity, application, so on, or possibly add some permissions, maybe to your Android manifest or to um, info plist or that sort of thing. There's sort of just a number of different um, changes that you need to make that are beyond just installing a library into your project. And so what needed to be done for Stripe in this case was to say, okay, we need to write this plugin that for Expo projects, when you install this, it will go ahead and automatically configure all of these other aspects of the library inside of your project. And, and so does, this is a bit of a tangent, but like I'm curious, does the ability to include and build into your app more arbitrary native modules m m affect the ability to run the app in Expo Go? Um, and it, Or am I miss... Uh... No, yeah, you're totally right. So Expo Go is like the web browser aspect of React Native, right? It's sort of this thing where you open this app, you write some JavaScript code on your computer, and you're able to just load that JavaScript code inside of this preset native runtime. Um, and so naturally, if you change 
the contract for what the JavaScript code can call into by introducing some native code that hasn't actually been linked inside of the binary that's running that code, you're going to end up with a bad time, probably your app crashing and so on. And so if you depend on some of this code in your JavaScript, load it inside of Expo Go with the fixed runtime, that's not going to work. And so another thing that we released with SDK 42 is uh, this idea of a custom development client. Um, so there's this library called Expo Dev Client that you can install in any React Native project. And what it does essentially is create that same sort of browser-like experience for your app, but against whatever custom runtime you have inside of your app. So in this case, let's say we wanted to um, install a popular library like React Native Fast Image. Um, we would go ahead and install that, uh, install Expo Dev Client, because we know now we can't use this library inside of Expo Go. Um, and then we would just do a build using ES build saying, give me a new uh, custom development client build uh, using the current runtime defined in the project's dependencies. Um, and so continuing on kind of new features in SDK 42, we talked about first party Stripe support, talked about um, the new build system, anything else uh, noteworthy? Um, yeah, I think something that kind of supports the new build system. Um, we have this Visual Studio Code extension uh, called Expo Tools for VS Code. And so um, when you're working on a an Expo project on your machine, and if you don't have the iOS and Android projects locally, so you're just working and saying, I want to just work in the JavaScript world and have you handle all of the, uh, you being Expo, all of the iOS and Android aspects of this for me. Um, one limitation of that is the feedback loop is potentially very slow on determining, like, I'm going to add this library to my application. What are the actual implications on what this changes inside of some of these configuration files? And so if you want to see, um, I've added this library. Now, what is my list of permissions that are being used on Android? Um, because different libraries will bring in different permission requirements. And uh, so this this uh, extension is very useful for just being able to preview what does my Android manifest look like in this case. Um, and then tooling can be built on top of that potentially as well to uh, make it a little bit less uh, maybe inside baseball for people who aren't so familiar with even how Android manifest works. Uh, just sort of like, hey, just give me the list of, of permissions. Um, so that's, a uh, yeah, that, I think that's a quite a nice addition. Um, and then I would say the other notable feature is support for uh, Hermes. So Hermes, the JavaScript engine written specifically around uh, performance for React Native applications uh, at Facebook. It's something that has really matured a lot over the last couple of years and now moved on to um, iOS as well. And so we thought it's time for us to add support for this in, in Expo now. So we've added support on the Android side and uh, we'll likely be doing that for iOS in SDK 43. This is maybe a naive question, but I had thought that like when you have a React Native app that runs on iOS, the JavaScript runs in in a WebKit browser and then talks over a bridge to the native. But it sounds like with Hermes, it's a completely different JavaScript environment. So is that... It, it, maybe I'm just wrong about the architecture, but I'm curious. Maybe you could dig in there a bit more. Yeah, so on iOS, it actually doesn't do that. It calls into JavaScript core directly. So um, iOS has APIs that allow you to use the same JavaScript engine that WebKit uses, that Safari uses. Um, 
but just call into that totally independently. And so we're, it kind of allows you to swap out that implementation with uh, this other engine instead. Got it. And so Apple doesn't have some sort of like policy that you have to run JavaScript in their JavaScript core. You're, you're allowed to include your own JavaScript interpreter with an application? Um, it's always tricky to understand exactly what uh, Apple's policies are. Um, there aren't any policies as of today that explicitly forbid this sort of thing. Um, they're pretty open in terms of what uh, interpreter you use. It's sort of, there are a lot of apps that use Lua, for example, and then ship a, a Lua interpreter inside of the app itself. And so it's a pretty similar idea to that. I'm curious, changing gears a bit, um, what is Expo Managed Workflow? Um, you wrote a blog post about that, curious to, to learn a bit more there. Sure. So Expo Managed Workflow is what I was talking about a little bit earlier in terms of saying, um, I, as a developer working on my project, I want to know about just the JavaScript code. I only want to own the JavaScript code. So in my Git repo, I don't have an Xcode project. I don't have anything related to Gradle necessarily. Like All there is is my React project. Um, and so Expo allows you to do this through this concept of having uh, clients like Expo Go uh, or custom development clients. And so rather than the traditional sort of way of of using React Native with uh, building your app in Xcode, launching it against the local development server, uh, and going from there. Instead, you open up the Expo Go app in your simulator or um, on your phone and start up a JS server with uh, Metro Bundler and then just load that uh, from, from your phone directly. So the managed workflow is it's a way of building your app without having to Think about or own any of the native code in the project. When you look across like all the developers and all the companies using Expo, like what percentage of React Native apps today have no customizations in native code and could exist as a as a as a managed workflow, or do the majority of developers still end up having to tweak something native? And then at that point, you're you have to you know jump into the Xcode project. I wish I had a, an answer in terms of numbers for this. It's very hard knowing even how many React Native apps are out there. Um, I, w I would say that probably a greater percentage than you would expect are capable of being built in this way. Um, often I see things posted on, on Reddit or on GitHub or wherever where it's examples of someone building an app with React Native and they didn't use Expo for it necessarily. And I go and look at it and it's just libraries that are in the Expo SDK and stuff that you could quite easily just build uh, with, with using Expo and uh, probably had an easier time with it. Um, and so, yeah, it's hard to give an exact answer to that. But ultimately, what we found was a lot of users getting to some point when they were building their application where they were forced with some kind of compromise. Um, they had to think about, like, am I going to continue in the managed workflow where I cannot customize the native code? and uh, and use like a JavaScript implementation, pure JavaScript implementation of this feature that I want to add. Um, and maybe that's, for example, using some analytics API where they offer a native library, but you kind of have to shoehorn the web uh, JS implementation into your React Native app instead of using the native implementation, um, which isn't always an ideal thing to do. There's a number of benefits that come with using um, the, the native libraries for a, a lot of these tools like uh, synchronizing data in the background and, and so on. Um, and so 
th these sorts of things come up. Um, and ultimately, that ended up being a limitation that drove us to build ES build and this new build, build system uh, in the first place. And, and so I think that if we're talking about the previous sort of state of the Expo managed workflow where you have this pre-built uh, static runtime, um, I think there were a lot of limitations to that. And, and you would hit, hit a ceiling at some point that kind of would force your hand in terms of saying, OK, I'm going to now uh, generate the native code for the project since there's a command to do that in, in Expo and then just carry on uh, outside of this managed workflow where now I no longer use Expo Go for development. I just compile my, my app in Xcode and, and continue uh, building my app. Um, and so this new kind of model now is you can add any library that you want. You can use config plugins, they're called, which was what I was referring to before of like the, the, the part where it doesn't just add this API, but goes and configures your project to maybe add some code or do these sort of additional steps that are usually manual. Um, so you can use these to customize any aspect of your project that you would like um, and ultimately really raise the ceiling on, on what's po uh, possible for um, writing essentially a, a pure JavaScript app from your perspective as a developer. Um, so, yeah. So another interesting thing um, that's actually very related to this podcast itself and the company behind the, the podcast is the LogRocket React Native integration, which I understand is in development still, not, not quite shipped, but uh, we've been working uh, at Expo with the LogRocket team uh, a little bit to ensure that when it does ship, it works out of the box with Expo apps. So definitely excited for that since you guys do some, some great work on, um, on the website. And I think there's a lot of benefit to be had from bringing this into, into native as well. Yeah. I mean, I'm also super excited and mobile support overall, and especially React Native support for quite a while has just been like by far the number one requested general area of product expansion from our customer base. And yeah, anecdotally, I would say like a large percentage of our customers that have mobile apps are using React Native and a large percentage of the ones using React Native are using Expo. So definitely, um, you know, a good fit there and will hopefully be, you know, a big, a big uh, plus for our customers. Yeah, absolutely. I think I've heard from a number of those, of those customers requesting <laughs> LogRocket integration specifically. So uh, yeah, it should be, should be a lot of fun on that ships. Yeah. I, I actually don't know the exact uh, timeline for shipping, but maybe we can, we can put in the episode <laughs> notes, we can put maybe a, an ETA, a very rough ETA of, of when of when that will ship. No, no we can't commit to any, anything here, but uh, I, I don't I don't want to get in trouble by saying a date of when it's going to launch it. I'm wrong on. But understood. You know, t looking a bit more to the future, like what are you most excited about on the Expo roadmap, and maybe more broadly, like what are some of the themes in the Expo roadmap when you think about like what you're going to ship over the next year or so? Yeah. So. A core principle at Expo is we want to help developers build apps and iterate on them as quickly as possible. Iteration speed, I think, is just so important to building applications these days. And we're working on um, a next generation of our uh, update service as well for this. So we, have, um, we haven't discussed this prior in this podcast yet, but um, to give a brief summary of it, there is... This idea in React Native apps that you can do over-the-air updates. Um, and so what that allows you to do is bundle up your JavaScript and any assets that are dependent on by the JavaScript, like the any images or videos or fonts or so on, and be able to update those um, at any point in time uh, by just 
sending it over the air through uh, an update bundle. And so our current uh, pass over that is is pretty good. It works for a lot of cases, but it has some limitations that don't work too well in a world where there are um, much, much more flexible runtimes. And so the runtime in the former state of the this managed workflow was always relatively fixed, right? We always had the same set of APIs available. Um, you move forward to something where now between any different build of your app, you potentially have a completely different runtime. There's a lot of different considerations that you need to factor in there. And so we want to help people to be able to confidently update their apps over the air in this world where still you're moving quickly and iterating on your runtime. Um, I think the Expo uh, dev client package is also really exciting for the future. Um, the use case we've mainly discussed here is you're building a managed workflow app. You want to add a new library. So you install Expo Dev Client, you do a build of it, and then you have that library. But I think there's another really compelling use case, which is for people who aren't using the managed workflow at all, but maybe they have their organization structured or want to structure their organization in a way where they have an infrastructure team, like a mobile infrastructure team that builds out their uh, their kind of their own runtime, their own platform for their app developers to build on top of. And this is something that we've seen in a number of larger organizations that use React Native. Um, there's a really good article from the team at Wix, and they have a, a team of uh, infrastructure folks who work on the Wix engine, which is kind of the same sort of idea of saying, let's build this thing that the application developers can then just load up and not have to deal with any of these other native tools that maybe they're not so familiar with and might occasionally run to blocking errors that uh, that are just hard to avoid in kind of day-to-day -day development as, as tools shift, but just sort of lock it down to this kind of um, fixed runtime that people then work against. Uh, I think kind of a common theme in developer tools uh, spaces is that um, you take some concept that large organizations or some set of tooling that large organizations have, and they have the, the scale and time to, to build this, uh, you take that and you bring it to other organizations that just don't have the internal capacity to be able to create this sort of tooling. And so I think Expo Dev Client is going to be a really nice way to um, take this concept that we think is, is very compelling. Um, and we've heard from a lot of organizations in, in the React Native space that they would like to uh, kind of approach structuring their organizations this way, um, take it to to a lot of other folks as well. So pretty excited about that. And, and so would that almost be like a way to customize Expo Go and add in some more native functionality or some yeah, basic native functionality that's specific to your use case and then you offer a broader set of APIs to, to build off of than like what you get in the basic Expo Go? Yeah, yeah, essentially. Um, and and so let's say you're, um, I don't know, what's an organization? Let's just make up, let's say LogRocket has an app that you ship, a consumer app for managing your um, LogRocket account and viewing all of your information about um, various logs and so on. And so let's say you ship this app um, and you are building it internally using React Native, using um, uh, just like a, a regular React Native project with iOS and Android projects uh, checked into source control. You kind of have some customizations there, have some custom uh, native code that you've written. Um, but 
maybe what you have is a team of, of uh, app developers who work on the website and they know React really well. And they also work on the, uh, the app, but they mainly just work on the JavaScript code in the app. And so you could have some team of engineers who say, we're going to build out the runtime for this app. So any of the custom native code, any of that sort of thing. Um, and then just anytime they want to release a new version of that, uh, give it to the developers and say, here's your new, your new runtime to work against. Um, and if the app developers decide they need some new capability that's not available yet, then uh, they can ask the infrastructure team to add it or they can uh, work on that on their own. But it kind of creates this clear boundary between um, working on the kind of application native runtime and the application itself. Got it. And looking at React Native itself, um, I haven't followed a ton on like the actual progress of what the React Native team has been shipping, but like anything exciting recently that's changed in React Native and anything kind of in the near term future roadmap that people should be excited about? Yeah, uh, I think React Native um, within Facebook, they've, they've continued adopting it in a variety of products and screens inside existing products. Um, most recently, I, I would say uh, an interesting development has been they announced that they're using the new architecture called Fabric for every screen inside of the Facebook app. So the main Facebook app, and there are something like over a thousand screens in, inside of that app that are built with React Native, which is a surprising number of screens. But I think React Native, React Native is just quite widely used inside of the app, and as well, the app is absolutely massive, and so there's a lot of a lot of features in there. It's kind of like an operating system on its own. Um, so Fabric is is a really interesting project that's been in development now for uh, for several years. I think since maybe 2017 or 2018, and it's kind of a full-on rewrite of the architecture of React Native to get rid of the asynchronous bridge and um, be able to kind of call directly into JavaScript from native and the other way around um, and really make it more of a browser style architecture as well in the sense where you call into a native API in, in your browser and you get a reference to some object that maybe isn't necessarily a JavaScript object but might be um, like a, an object in, in C that you're then interacting with. Um, and this is a little bit different from how React Native has worked historically, where kind of you um, send messages asynchronously over a bridge. And so anything, you're holding a reference to something, it's usually like this is a, a JavaScript object that will then generate like a, uh, a message to send over a message queue to the native side where there's kind of these parallel worlds existing at the same time. Uh, and there's a lot more to this architecture that's that's really interesting. It might make it easier to um, adopt React Native inside of existing native applications. Uh, that's been traditionally a little bit difficult to do. Uh, so that could change the calculus that we were discussing earlier around um, whether it makes sense for organizations to adopt React Native if you already have a native team and already have uh, a reasonably sized app at your organization. Out of curiosity, like what was the original reason why React Native went with the bridge architecture? I, I'm not sure I can speak to the exact motivations of the team, but I can try and um, extrapolate or guess based off of like, what, what I've seen in some conversations I've had with people. Um, I think the idea was that it's it's essentially decoupling from a performance side. Like we're we don't want necessarily um, 
native to wait on JavaScript to execute a lot of the time. We, we want to free up the main thread to do whatever work needs to be done on the main thread, processing input, doing potentially certain types of animations, um, and so on. And just allow JavaScript to execute kind of on its own, in just an entirely separate thread um, in a, in a non-blocking way. Um, I think a, a big change that has happened there is that React is moving towards uh, concurrent mode. Um, and so support for this would potentially allow for uh, the main thread to call into JavaScript a little bit more safely than it currently can, where you might risk now, say, if we were to synchronously call into JavaScript from native, um, and then we were to trigger some uh, large subtree reconciliation, you know, this could take uh, in the order of like several frames or more uh, in which you're blocking the main thread as well. And so um, this maybe is uh, less of a problem in a world where React concurrent mode exists. Yeah, I, I, I'm not entirely sure on the, the full motivation behind it, but I think uh, it's some, that is probably one of the factors. So Brent, this has been awesome ch chatting. Um, for anyone out there who's interested in Expo or React Native or you know, working on these tools, um, it sounds like you guys are, are hiring, right? Yeah, definitely. We're looking for iOS and or Android experts specifically at the moment um, to work on the Expo platform side. So that's like the Expo SDK itself, uh, Expo Go and development client. Um, and so definitely reach out to us. You can uh, check out the career section on expo.dev and uh, hope to see an application. Well, thanks so much. I really enjoyed chatting today. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for listening to PodRocket. Find us at PodRocketPod on Twitter, or you could always email me, even though that's not a popular option. It's Brian at LogRocket.